You're listening to the North American Francophone Podcast, hosted in English by Claire-Marie Brisson and proudly recorded in Charlottesville, Virginia. Welcome to another episode of the North American Francophone Podcast. I'm your host, Claire-Marie, and today I'm excited to present Jenny Moyen, Janie is from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and she grew up between Saint-Augustin de Mirabel, a small rural community in Quebec, as well as in Zinan Park, an equally rural community in Saskatchewan that is representative of the Francesqua community. Welcome to the podcast. Merci beaucoup. Glad to be here. I'm so glad that you're here. And you know, it's interesting. You grew up between two rural Francophone communities. Did you notice any differences in the way that these two communities represent their francophone visibility? Or do you feel that your experiences were more similar in these two areas? It's funny because when I when I think about when I was younger and, and you know, traveling and, and being in those two communities, I never really thought of myself as a francophone. I was based primarily in the, in the Montreal area, Mirabel, and I never really thought of myself as a francophone in a way that I always thought that French was everywhere. It wasn't a privilege to me then. So when I went to, to Zenon to see my family, I saw most of my family having lost their French, but trying really hard to communicate with me in French because they knew that was my first language. I, I wasn't really good in English back then. I had a huge accent, like a really thick Montreal accent. So I always thought that everybody spoke French, everybody knew it, everybody could understand me. And it wasn't until I moved uh, to Saskatchewan permanently in seventh grade, so in 2014, that I really realized that my language is a, is a privilege, but it's also a, a, a lifelong battle I'm going to have to fight because it's not something that everybody understands, nor is it not always valued. It's interesting how you mentioned that French just seemed to be everywhere where you lived. And I imagine that goes back to the fact that you were in Quebec before moving to Saskatchewan. Would you agree that your linguistic comfort was attributed to the sheer number of French speakers that exist in Quebec and the status of French as the province's official language? Definitely, definitely. When everybody asked me, like, what what was it living in Quebec? It, it really was a separate country. Because when you just look at the laws, you look at, at the language used about things just in general, like just about when, when speaking about the government, it's it's a separate nation. It really is. Because in 2006, Stephen Harper, our prime minister at the time, uh, passed a motion that Quebec would be a nation inside a, uni a united Canada. So legally, Quebec is recognized as a nation. And because of that, we really valued our French and would disregard anything coming from down east or down west. Really, we just concentrated on ourselves. So moving from Quebec was a real culture shock because even though I spent my summers in Saskatchewan or, or at least, you know, being around my Impossible father, I never really realized how much of a centralized and nationalist country Quebec was. Most of the interviewees that have been a part of this Franco-American Voices series have had brief interactions with Quebec. They may have maybe lived there for a short time or have been inspired to take charge of their own Franco-American identity based off of models that have been presented by Quebec in linguistic protection, cultural solidarity, education, and the like. But you're really the first person on the podcast that I am aware of that is Canadian and has a trans-provincial perspective. And I would be interested if you could let my listeners know a little bit about what the French-speaking Saskatchewan or Francesquois communities look like today in comparison to the Quebec community. 
Yeah, um, the Francisco community is unfortunately very small. We're a very small population just in our in our province. So when you look at the, like the 1.5 percent of Francisco French speakers, it's kind of demoralizing when you think about it. But at the same time, we have a lot of small rural villages that have kept that French heritage and French uh, like hole and seed. Um, but I would say in, in Saskatchewan and down west, we're really interconnected as a, as a Francophonie. We're really uh, close because we know that down west, it's a different kind of, of culture of Francophone people than down east or in New Brunswick. So it's, it's a small community, uh, but very, very close-knitted. And most of us are cousins. So I cannot date anyone from my province who speaks French, just in case I unfortunately create incest or, or have incest or something like that. <laughs> it's really funny to hear it put that way, but, you know, it does make a lot of sense. And I'm wondering if the Francophone community in Saskatchewan is just one big family or if it's connected as well to Franco-Albertans or to Francophones in British Columbia, for example. Definitely, just in my family, my grandfather was one of the first uh, of the sons and daughters of my great grandparents, and uh, his parents decided, okay, let's move down uh, down to Vancouver. So most of my family either lives in Alberta or Vancouver. So I'm really closely knitted to. I have some friends in in both provinces, and my families are probably all over west of Canada. <laughs> And would you say that most Francophones that live in Western Canada live in rural areas or do they live in the metropolitan areas or is it a good balance between the two? It's honestly, the only way I could describe it is like most people move to urban population dense uh, places, but a lot of them have families down in rural communities. So I would say like, especially in my class, I have, a, uh, I went to a very small school. So most of us would come from, for example, Bellevue or Zanopac, uh, a lot of places where their grandparents lived and their aunts and uncles. So we all had both kind of experiences living on communities for the summer and the city during most of the year. Would you ever say that there was a time where you really felt isolated or separate because of your language or your community? Definitely, definitely. Uh, um, <laughs> just, just in um, urban day life. I remember my mom telling me a story when, uh, in in the eighties, she would go shopping with her friend, and uh, she was speaking French with her friend, and uh, someone came came over and said, "You can't speak speak French here. It's it's in English, like speak English." And that kind of I don't know if it's called racism, but that kind of like languageism is still pretty relevant because I I myself. If I wear something in French, people will, the only thing they'll think of is like, which is like, you can say that, but if you don't know in 2020 what that means, you know, you kind of need to educate yourself more on like the, the bilingualism we have in Canada. I think that this is an experience that is shared by minority linguistic populations and cultural identities across the world. And these microaggressions against languages in the plural can have extremely negative effects on people when their voice is not represented by the majority and they're not accepted. And as my listeners have heard countless times, I grew up in Michigan, and despite the fact that I lived within 10 miles of the border with an officially bilingual country, the moment someone heard or saw my name, the immediate conclusion was that I somehow grew up in Paris, and the stereotype was that I was a French speaker simply because I came from France. If I gave any other explanation, suddenly that authenticity was gone, and my identity became confusing to others. 
Do you think that this was the experience in Western Canada for you? Or do you think that people immediately jump to thinking of Quebec when they hear or see French? Quebec, it's really, it's really about Quebec. And like some, some people that have never really been around French speakers will say, oh, do you come from France? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, I was born in Quebec, but my, most of my family lives here now. And they're like, oh, so you're from Quebec? A negative connotation still exists just because it's, it's, a, it's a really weird country we live in because we have the, the, the French prominence of Quebec that just dominates in, in every industry in, in the Francophone world because they really have all the resources and they have everyone there. And we are a small, very small interconnected uh, community that is trying to keep up with their heritage and trying to keep their accent alive. But we always have that you know, that background noise of like, oh, my accent isn't from Quebec, so it's not good, right? I, I don't speak like a Quebec person, so I don't have a good French. So I'm just going to, you know, let my language go because I'm not good enough. So would you say that the French that's spoken in Quebec and maybe even in the maritime provinces of Canada, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, is distinct enough that it's different from the French that's spoken in Western Canada? I would say there's a distinct one because uh, when you look back at the history, like we, most of the pioneers and people, the settlers came from Europe and the French ones uh, settled in Quebec first and then went down west because, you know, go west, young man, go west. Uh, that is still a very prominent thing. And we, we have a very young province, just we were uh, founded in, in 1905. So we really have a, a, a very uh, a long way to go. So I would say that the accent is still very reminiscent for grandparents of the Quebec accent they heard from their parents, but as well as my parents who who maybe like incorporated more of the English. So we have a more like almost singing accent. We have a we have an underlying singing voice, which is what I, I would describe it as. That's really interesting. And for me, it provides a lot of continuity between the other voices as part of the Franco-American Voices series. The fact that there is a French-American voice, and it's so linked to the geography, but it's also linked to a certain past, to a historical group of people who survived on a territory, on a geography together. The interview that I had before this interview was with Joseph Dunn, who was representing Louisiana, and something he mentioned that I thought was interesting was that there were so many different accents represented within Louisiana itself that the diversity and the plurality of voices that exist in Louisiana is far beyond what anyone knows outside of Louisiana. If you're not a part of that community, you really don't know about it. You know, I was learning listening to him. And something that was mentioned in that interview was that sometimes people, when they're trying to understand these identity groups and when they're trying to understand Franco-Americans, they're relating to Franco-Americans in the way that they learned about Frenchness. And that could be in the classroom, for example. They learned French, but they learned about it because of Paris and because of their interest in maybe film or fashion. Or they learn about a certain geography, like Louisiana, for the things that they know that are folkloric, like Mardi Gras. But that doesn't represent the complexity of Louisiana French today. And I'm sure that it doesn't represent the complexity of what France wants to represent itself as. And so in the same vein, I'm wondering if you could give our listeners a little bit of an understanding of how Francesquois people want to be identified and how they want to be represented. What is their visibility and how can we understand it from outside of the community? Um, I would say we're, we're still searching for our representation. We're still searching for our, our pride because we, 
we don't have a lot of uh, settled history. We don't have a, a concrete culture, but I would say um, we have a Saint Sophie so a Frank uh, Francisquois sash, uh, kind of reminiscent of the Manitoban sash. So we created that just in 2017. Um, we really wanted something to represent ourselves uh, and to have to also honor our Métis relationship uh, because most a lot of um, actually Saskatchewan is the homeland of the Métis. Um, so we, we really need to, to keep in mind that it's, it's about reconciliation and our language needs to be as well as a pride, but as a, as a way, to, a tool to reach anyone we can. So our pride and our representation is not, I, I wouldn't say the best because I, I would like it to be better, but a lot of kids and a lot of parents go through immersion schools. So it's where they speak French and they, they learn in French, but in a primarily English uh, setting. And it's incredible how many kids want to go through immersion while Francophone kids with Francophone parents decide to leave Francophone school and go to an English uh, only school. And that's, that's a weird thing to see as a Francophone, as, as a proud Francophone, to see how much Francophone kids who have, you know, lived in a world where French is not really, you know, it's okay, it's just, it's part of my heritage. They don't care anymore at a certain point, while kids who, who know it's hard to keep and, and know it's hard to learn want to go through uh, immersion and want to keep up with their French during post-secondary education. So are there efforts being made to ensure that your linguistic access and security are being ensured, or is this still very much a struggle for your community? It is a struggle. Uh, when you just look at the at the official language act, uh, it turned uh, 50 last year in 2019, and it still needs to be adjusted. It still needs to be representative of everyone in Canada. Just for us, we have a hard time having actual people who speak French. I was going to, uh, I was uh, trying to get my passport renewed in 2018, and I remember going to the government office, and no one there spoke French. And I, I asked for uh, French uh, services, uh, and the the lady there said really do you need that like do you really need that please we have like english people can you just not ask for that and just in airport security or i went to the airport maybe once a month and no one there spoke french except one guy and he rarely was there when i went to the airport so those fundamental needs and fundamental rights we have aren't being respected by the official governments that are supposed to protect those rights and as a member of this community, has the community started to voice these concerns? Have they done that online? Or do you think that this is something that people really want to bring to Ottawa? At this point, it, I would say for myself, I would try to go through like provincial and territorial governments first, because I, I was part of a council, like the youth council for the province, and uh, I learned how to do an official complaint if I didn't have my needs met. And uh, that takes a long time. That's a hard document to fill. And it shouldn't be that hard. Like in, in most things, in most government things and most official things, it's hard to fill and it's tedious to do. So it really needs to be simplified to really reach most people that are too scared to ask for it or want it but don't want to create a fuss. I have parents like that. They, they just give up because they don't want to create a fuss. They want the convenience and that should we shouldn't have the convenience of speaking French just in Quebec or in municipalities that really they, they drove hard for their French rights. So here's an interesting question for you, and you don't need to have a concrete answer to the question, but I think it will provide some stimulating conversation for us, as well as some food for thought for my listeners. 
So when we think about Canada and we think about language rights, again, we immediately start thinking about Quebec and all of the efforts that Quebec has done to ensure that the French language is guaranteed, protected, and that the French language is also spoken in a way that Quebec sees fit. You know, if there's any type of borrowing from English, they ensure that it is indeed a French word that is used instead. And many people who speak French find that admirable, think that that is a great way to protect linguistic rights in Canada. But I'm wondering if Quebec has extended all of their efforts to protect the French language to other parts of Canada, specifically to linguistic minorities like the Francescois, and if they have provided their own support and their own initiatives to your part of Canada as well. Uh, I would say yes, less so people coming to, to talk to us, but more so the fact that every school and, and every resource we have is from Quebec and is uh, translated from Quebec, which is a great thing to have because we know that over there, they, they're really precise and really they try to have the best, you know, kind of language level. But as for the overall uh, population, just for myself, I was raised by a Montreal mother and a Francisco father, but I did not realize there were francophones outside of Quebec. That's how much that in school, the general populations don't know that there are francophones outside of Quebec and that there are people and the resources outside of Quebec to speak French and to keep up with your French. It's interesting to think about that, especially across the border. So, you know, me speaking from the United States, we're thinking about the new connections that are existing between Louisiana and Quebec, for example, speaking again to Joseph Dunn's interview, you know, a couple of months ago, they just signed an agreement for direct flights between New Orleans and Montreal. And there are a lot of new connections now between linguistic communities that really didn't connect with one another before. And I'm excited to see what can happen, too, with larger French-speaking populations that are on the border, for example, maybe with Ontario and with Quebec, or even with Saskatchewan. I'm not sure if there are any Americans that are sharing a border with you that may be speaking French, but I'm seeing more and more connections. How do you think other Francophones in North America can best get a sense of what Saskatchewan needs and how we can engage with your community? Oh, that's a that's a that's a tough one. Uh, well, first of all, uh, I'll be honest. I did not know the existence of French American population uh, until a few weeks ago. That my friend posted a story that she met someone from from America that spoke French, and I was like, "Wow, that's really cool!" Like I did not know that. And then I I, I researched and I saw that you know most of uh, of people come from Quebec or Ontario or Diakadzi. So I was like, "That's amazing!" And I started researching all these resources, and I saw that most of us have the same problems which is basic language rights and having schools that really protect our rights and educate us in the best way to keep our culture, our history alive, but also to keep up with the times and to evolve with the Frenchness we have in mind. Absolutely. And more of a personal question now. I know that you're going to be starting your studies at the University of Ottawa come September. Congratulations on that. Um, As a young member of the Francescois community and as a young voice for a Franco-American voice, I think you are the youngest voice that has been on the podcast. What do you see as the future for the Francescois community, first of all, but also for the North American Francophone community? What would be your vision for us moving forward? Oh boy, I'm hoping more relationships in between us, more communication between us, uh, just in my country between Quebec and most of the Francophonie outside of the province, but just 
between Canada and North and, and America, we need more, we need more uh, communication in general, but especially like between the, the, uh, the Francophone communities, because we're, we're so small already, we need to really band together and to, to be able to be a force together and to, to have relationships that can, uh, that can lead us through, through the changes that are coming. And I think that a really nice way that we've been connecting has been over the internet. You know, despite COVID, despite all of the things that have kept us at home, I've seen this branching out more and more. And, you know, my own view is that maybe we can create more communities this way and engage ourselves this way and help to build something new, a new style of community we've never seen before. So that's exciting. Yeah. Speaking more to your own experiences, you were asked to read the poem La Francesque at the Jeu de la Francophonie Canadienne in Moncton, Dieppe. I really didn't know about this poem, and yet it represents so much of your own identity. And I would be honored if you could read that to my listeners and share what this poem represents to you, as well as to your community. Sure. Uh, so... La Française is a, is a actually relatively new uh, poem that really demonstrates how the author viewed the community and how she really wanted us to keep going with our heritage and our past, but also greet everyone with hope and a love for the for the for the language. In March 2020, I was given the honor to read this at the 2020 raising of the flag, uh, the Francescois flag. So. Everything in our culture is relatively new, just even our name, our namesake, the Francescois, was invented in 1971, I presume. So everything's new, but we need to create more connections to, to use the, that newness to, to build a, a stepping stone for, for the future. And if you feel comfortable, if you'd like to read the poem to us in French, I'm sure my listeners would love to hear it. Many are learning French or speak French. Sounds good. La Francesque. Je déclare ce pays la Francesque. Je ne peux plus vivre dans celui qui m'a promis tellement, mais enfin il m'a donné si peu. Celui qui porte son masque d'espérance me laissant captive de ses mêmes déclarations. Je ne peux plus vivre dans l'étrangère, bornée par ses faux idéals. Je déclare ce pays la Francesque. Je la déclare pour toi qui la connais et pour toi qui veux la connaître. Je la déclare pour toi qui prendras le temps de la découvrir et toi qui es prêt, avec courage et patience, de m'aider à la bâtir. Je déclare ce pays la Francesque. Je vous la donne avec ses maintes petites communautés francescoises, avec la sérénité des, de ses aubes, la fraîcheur de ses nuits, la diversité de ses saisons et la solitude de son ciel éternel. Je vous la donne avec ses vastes étendues de forêts et de prairies, ses lacs et ses grandes routes. Je déclare ce pays la Francesque, avec son drapeau, sa chanson, sa langue et sa culture, dans toute sa nouveauté et son mystère. Je vous la donne avec son peuple, hommes, femmes, enfants, anciens, nouveaux, inconnus et irrésolus. Son peuple, les Francescois. Je déclare ce pays la Francesque. Sans hésitation, sans crainte, sans regret. Je le dis, je sais que je ne suis plus seule. Je la déclare d'ici à l'éternité, à chaque instant de ma vie, avec l'espoir qu'un jour, je vivrai unie avec toi. Oui, je déclare ce pays la Francesque. C'est très émouvant. Merci beaucoup. Uh, thank you. It's just so moving. And in it, I'm hearing the desire not to live in a, quote, foreign place anymore, but to really reclaim the geography and also to give visibility to the Francesquois identity. I think that that might be the best way to give a short summary of this poem to our Anglophone listeners. Would you agree? Definitely, yeah. I'm sure that after listening to our interview together, many of my listeners would love to get in touch with you. Is there a good way where they could find you online or communicate with you? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm on Instagram uh, at Janie underscore Moyen. I'm on Facebook, and uh, if ever they they want to learn more about Saskatchewan history, visit histoireesca.ca. Uh, that's where I work. So yeah. 
Once again, I am pleased to share so many Franco-American voices on the podcast in the Franco-American Voices series, and if you want to be a part of this project, feel free to send me a message on thefrancophone.com or by email at northamericanfrancophone at gmail.com. There's quite the lineup of Franco-American voices to come, and I would love to have your voice as part of it. And again, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I look forward to seeing what you do in the future.